Today's episode is brought to you by the new Yelp for Restaurants. In July 2020, hundreds of hospitality professionals and enthusiasts at Yelp banded together to create a new team dedicated entirely to the betterment of restaurants. Check out our latest project together, the Restaurant Marketing School podcast at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash marketing school or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here we go. If you need funding, then start with nothing. If you have a great product, then have your great product and people will come to it. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. I wouldn't recommend it, but it's gotten me where I am. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Who's the most important person in your restaurant? On a busy Saturday night, it's the dishwasher. Because if the dishwasher doesn't show up, you're the dishwasher. To make his job easier and our operation more efficient, we've upgraded to Dawn Professional Pot and Pan. Dawn Professional cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, using less soap and resulting in fewer changeovers. Save time and money with Dawn Professional. It's clean. Upgraded. I'm fascinated by the mastery of anything, especially in our industry. Noel Broner, better known as the Dough Doctor, has mastered the art of making pizza. He's the go-to guy for the rich and famous seeking the perfect slice and for the independent restaurateur looking to level up their offering. Typically, the best teachers are the best students, and Noel is no exception. Today, Noel shares with us what he's learned in the pursuit of perfection. road less traveled is less traveled probably for a very good reason. But I got to say, if you're patient and resilient, you can get to the promised land, whatever that is. And so, yeah, I got this crazy idea in my head. I was working on a project with a friend here in LA, Smog City Brewing Company, before anybody ever heard of them. And we were trying to put together a concept for them that was a brew pub with maybe a small restaurant we could tell that pizza and burgers were going to be the next thing. This was probably 2006, 2005. And so I was like, I always love pizza. How hard could it be? He actually bought me a book, John Porter did, and we started making pizza out of it and it went terribly. It couldn't have gone any worse. I actually catered a party for them for 50 people, volunteered out of a love for them and pizza. And I had to run out the last minute and buy Trader Joe's pizza, the actual dough because mine didn't work. And that was kind of an eye-opening experience for me because I thought I was smart enough, hardworking enough, diligent enough. Turns out none of that stuff's important. You know, a buddy of mine had just written a book about spending his final days with his father. And one of the things that they did to bond was they went to baking school together and they learned how to make bagels of all things. And so he said to me, hey, there's this awesome school in New York. I think you would benefit from learning how to make traditional artisan breads. So I looked, there was nothing that I could fit into my schedule, except that at the time I was still an entrepreneur and my business kind of lulled in July and August. And I noticed they had this long format artisan bread program, two months. And I just went crazy and moved to New York with my wife for two months. And I had actually John Porter cover for me here in LA. I was running a digital photography event business. And I took the plunge. And by day, I went to a culinary school. 
again, at the tender age of, I think, 41. And I was there with a lot of kids. I call them kids. You know, there are people in their 20s, not too much experience, life experience, or even work experience. And I loved it. I thought it was amazing. And I'd done something like it before where I sent myself to music school. And I studied classical music in hopes of being a better jazz and blues and rock and folk musician. And so I had this same silly idea about going to classical bread baking school and learning baguettes and ciabatta and bagels and even croissants to make better pizza. And so I could tell long winding tales about that experience. But the most important thing was that by day I made classic breads and at night I would go out and hit the five boroughs and find every pizzeria that I could that I thought was worth visiting. And in two months, maybe I hit up 150 pizzerias maybe more. Oh my God, how much weight did you gain? You know what? I was probably walking six, seven, eight miles a day. Okay. Uh, in, that's New York, right? And mm-hmm. so no weight gain at that particular time. But I came back with a certain enlightenment. And when I looked at all my books and my recipes, I realized, oh, I get it. All of these books and recipes are giving me shortcuts. And I thought, let me just take out the shortcuts and see where that gets me. And that was like the beginning of really going down the rabbit hole and becoming the pizza consultant that I think I am today. I think there's a larger conversation to have about mastery. And I think it's a really timely conversation to have because the mastery of anything is fascinating to me. The level of discipline required to master anything, the patience, the perseverance, there's a huge difference between I would say, working in the restaurant industry and achieving a level of mastery in any one facet of the industry. Can you talk about the intention and the focus and the education and the discipline that went into the mastery of dough making? Yeah, I think I can. I could go about it in a lot of ways, but I think the way that I'll try to talk about it is that I never intended to be a pizza master, and I don't know if I even am, but I wanted to learn New York pizza. That was the first thing I wanted to learn. And I wanted to understand the technology that I call fermentation and gluten development. And I wanted to understand all the components that went into it. But my focus was very narrow. And then once I got to the point where I was making good New York pizza, then I discovered hashtag Columbusing <laughs> Neapolitan pizza, right? And mm-hmm. that was like, that blew my mind. It was a whole nother world. That was like the classical music of pizza. And then I discovered Roman pizza. And that was like the jazz of pizza. And every corner that I turned down, there was a new pizza style. Take Detroit style pizza. For me, that's like funk music. And so like, why would I limit myself to just making one kind of pizza? There were all these beautiful pizza styles out there. And I just kept going down each little rabbit hole and kind of finding like a new nirvana. And I think I'm still doing it to this day. I don't think I've ever stopped. I think the only thing that's changed is that after doing it for 10 plus years, I have a lot of people in my community that are constantly referring me out for work, mostly other chefs. I don't consider myself a chef. I'm a baker. I don't know why I would say other chefs, but people who own restaurants, I owned a restaurant for a long time, who are my people. And so I've worked for them. And when people say, hey, who do you know? I want to start a pizza program or I want to improve my pizza or bread. They're like, you should call Noel. How did mentorship play a role in that education? I mean, I have so many mentors, I don't even know where to start. The people that shared with me openly and honestly are my most valuable mentors. And there's a lot of people that did that. 
but I feel like people who are really on their game, they don't feel like they need to hide anything. If anything, when I see this in myself now, when my students do great work, when my clients do great work, that makes me feel like I do great work. And so I want to share with them. And I want my other chef friends to share. And not all of them do. Some people think they have secrets or they've come upon things. And for good reason. Like a lot of people have spent a lot of time focusing on a very specific method or recipe or family of recipes. And I get it. But for me, it's all about sharing. And yeah, I charge for what I do, but not all the time. And also like this whole idea of money playing into it is kind of weird because I never thought I'd make money doing what I do. I did it because I loved it. Who makes money in pizza? Not that many people. Everybody I know does it just because they love it and they love making pizza for their family and their friends. And I think that's kind of how it started. And also a false narrative in my head that said, oh, pizza, how hard could it be? Right. I had the same experience in fine dining. Like after running a successful dive bar for almost a decade, I was like, I'll try fine dining. I mean, how hard could it be? It's, it seems like a much slower pace of service. And then I got the shit kicked out of me for years up until the day we closed. Every service was difficult. But I'm so curious. So you've reached a certain level of mastery and then you do get into teaching and into mentoring others instead of just opening your own pizza joint and just slaying the competition. I don't want to say there's a reason for it because that's not really how I run my life. But I do think that I'm willing to live in the moment so much so that I don't get preoccupied by certain goals. And I find value. I try to find value in enjoying every moment and every relationship because you never know if you'll reach your goals or if you do, if they'll be what you thought they were going to be. So I try to find value in like the relationships that I build with people and also just in doing something well with a team of people that appreciates it. The teaching thing happened by accident because I specifically did not want to teach. Everybody said you'd be a great teacher. And I'm like, I'm not going to take a vow of poverty. And that's how I thought about teaching. And I love teaching. Don't get me wrong. But for some reason, I thought if you're going to teach music or you're going to teach cooking, you'd be broke and you'd be resentful like a lot of teachers that I know. And I know most teachers get into it because they love it. And many of them persevere. I just had, again, this false narrative in my head that I would somehow be broke. And so this last year when I had to pivot because so many of the restaurants that I was scheduled to work on just weren't happening and everything has been at least temporarily postponed. I thought about teaching and I thought, man, this whole Zoom thing is incredible. I wonder how far I can take it. And so I think that one of the themes in my life, going back to the road less traveled, like most people, when they're kind of like approaching a career path, you have to go through certain channels, right? And a channel might require an education and then probably some kind of junior level position and then you move up and then the powers that be and the gatekeepers of the world decide when you kind of get to your next level and when you're allowed to ascend. And I've never abided by that. And that probably comes from my dad who was like super entrepreneurial and spent most of his life half broke, but I really saw how hard he worked. It was kind of an inspiration. But also, I think like so many people that I know even still, whether they're actors or directors or writers, I have a lot of friends in the arts and a lot of friends in entertainment, like they're still waiting for their break, whatever that means, or they're still waiting for somebody to say, I'm going to give you the funding for that project. I'm a strong believer. It's like, if you need funding, then 
start with nothing. If you have a great product, then have your great product and people will come to it. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. I wouldn't recommend it, but it's gotten me where I am. Well, because you have to start somewhere. You're the dough doctor, right? That started with intention, that started with a singular project, which led to the next, which led to the next, which led to this overarching reputation. How did that reputation come about? When would you say that it went from you helping chefs to it becoming a thing where there's like a dough-shaped phone in your office that glows a certain color when it's ringing and you know that you're needed? That's a good question. I like the way you put it, actually. So there will never be a dough-shaped bat phone (laughs) in my office. But you know what? The phone is a very important part of my life because ever since I've been in the business world, your phone rings. And this included when I was a musician, freelance, when I was writing music freelance, when I owned a nightclub and the phone would ring and I was waiting for reservations or private parties or talent bookings. And even now my phone rings, slow rice pizza. This is Noel. How can I help you? And it's a chef or it's an entrepreneur or it's a student or it could be almost anyone. And I love that moment where you're trying to figure out what they want and if you can do it. And then there's another moment that happens where it's clear that you can't do it, but you can't say no because you want it so bad. (laughs) And so that's another kind of theme in my life where when people say, can you do this? Even if you think you can't, you have to say yes, you have to. And so I think I live in fear of waking up in the morning and this happens more times than I'd like to admit. And you just think, oh, fuck. And I don't want to wake up like that. I want to wake up in the morning and say, oh, fuck, because I got to go. I got stuff to do. And these days, that's what's happening. And I wake up with a jolt and I just get up and I work. The way my days look right now are nothing like they looked a year or two ago. A year or two ago, I was like running around the country, running around L.A., running around the world on planes and just like dough doctoring and setting up bread and pizza programs. And it was exhausting and super exhilarating. But I remember thinking, I don't think I can scale this up because it's just me. And now that I'm doing everything virtually, I think I can scale it up. It's hard and you have to really think outside the box. And sometimes you have to really fail and fall hard on your face. And I do it a lot, but I feel like I'm getting somewhere, you know? And that forward thinking, I think, is so refreshing in this moment because I spent most of my life worried about failing, worried about the closure of a restaurant. The worst thing that could possibly happen to a restaurateur is that their restaurant closes. And then there's a global pandemic and you think, oh, wow, there are worse things. But it's that fear of failure I found so prevalent within the industry that prevents people from advocating for themselves, that prevents people from raising their prices or having a difficult conversation with the community that they're trying to serve. Does that resonate with you? Oh, 200%. (laughs) I don't have a fear of failure. I already know I'm a failure. And Mm -hmm. so just dealing with that every day, I'm both a perfectionist and a procrastinator. And that's a hard, they're actually flip sides of the same coin. But like, I feel like my potential is never realized even when I have what other people consider great successes. Now, how do you offset that with this natural optimism that you seem to have? That's a good question. You know, (laughs) if I had to say my mom, my sister, my brother-in-law are all shrinks, and so they have a certain optimism. And I think my dad was more like me. He was the entrepreneurial type, and he ended up being very optimistic, but through his life, he saw a lot of peaks and valleys, maybe sometimes more valleys than peaks. And so he had a real dark side. 
and I saw it. I grew up in the shadow of it. And that's like in my DNA. And so the people that know me know that I'm like a living contradiction. And so I always think, and I think this is one of the few theories that I have in my life. And it's that you don't have strengths over here and weaknesses over here. I always say your strengths are your weaknesses. And so what makes me a perfectionist also makes me a procrastinator. The thing that makes me work so slowly because I really want to get it right also is the key to my success because Slow Rise Pizza is all about doing things slowly and with purpose and using old technology, maybe even forgotten technology, fermentation and gluten development in this case, but with music, just like harmony and melody and music theory and all that stuff. Like it really is a part of who I am. I really like to kind of study the history of things. And from history, I think comes some kind of innovation. I'm going to open the kimono here. This is a show that has certainly evolved over time. And with every episode, there's an agenda. There just is. And with you, my agenda, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because what you do professionally also directly relates to how you live your life personally. Your job is to go into something, go into a business, analyze this one particular facet, look at the ins and the outs, and attempt to remedy it, attempt to heal it, attempt to make it better. And you've done the same thing in your life through a variety of career pivots and transitions. And then we'll pull out and we'll look at the industry and my greatest fear not as a restaurateur, but as just an individual, as a member of this industry, is that we're not going to take the time to do exactly that before the world gets back to work. And then everything goes back to the way it was before. And it's 80 to 100 hour work weeks and an 80% failure rate in the first three years. And all of these unhealthy choices that we make, our prices will be too low. And I have all of these fears that we're not going to take the fresh start that we've been given. And you've done that, and you've done that time and time again, and you've been methodical in your analysis of your profession and in your life. And so I'm hoping you can shed some light for the people listening into how they can do that in their own lives. That's a tough one, you know. I try not to give advice, but I use my life as a cautionary tale for people. And I'm not trying to be super dramatic. I don't feel like I've accomplished anything super great. I just feel like I'm 53 years old and I've been at whatever I've been at for a long time. And there are certain fruits of your labor. And sometimes you get acknowledged and sometimes you don't. And so for me, I'm never in search of acknowledgement, not really. And my shrink might say, yes, you are, because you didn't get it from your father, blah, blah, blah. Fine. That's not what I'm talking (laughs) about. Like When I go into a situation, all the chefs that I've worked with, and I've worked with some great ones, like... When you get in there, it's all about focusing on what they want. And you have to forget about yourself. Your ego is immediately shattered. And if anybody who's listening has ever worked in like an old school restaurant, it's like the military or some kind of sports team, the coach or the chef. The thing they want to do is get rid of your sense of self so that you're a part of the team. And I really like that feeling. And I'm a big fan of shared suffering, whether it's in sports or on the line at a restaurant. And like, I like to get in there and I like to get dirty and I like to get beat up and I like to do a great job. And then I like to come back and do it again. And so if you don't enjoy getting dirty doing your job and if you don't enjoy like failing in your job, I don't know if you're ever going to get to the promised land unless you're just like super talented or you have something figured out. I've never been able to take shortcuts that mattered. I always feel like the way that I do is 
kind of the less traveled route because I'm not really comfortable going the way that other people tell me to because it never really works for me. I always consider myself kind of a reverse barometer. So one of the things that helped, I think, was when I got into my 30s and I had a better idea who I am and what my values are. And so I did this thing when I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s, where I had a very successful restaurant and nightclub. I consider it a failure, but people, critics and fans really loved it. It was called Luna Park Restaurant and Nightclub, and it was on Robertson in West Hollywood. And I ran it with a couple of partners from 93 to 2000. And when I finished with that, I went through this very strange process where I left the United States. I bought a VW van and I traveled in Europe, man in van for two years. And I wanted to find myself. And everywhere I went, I thought whatever country or city I went to that I would hit the promised land. And what I realized was that wherever I went, I was there, right? It was just me in a different place. And once you become okay with that, like there's never going to be some silver bullet. I think that's important. You realize that in a lot of ways you're programmed and you don't even make choices about what you consider to be your own values or, or you don't even necessarily define your own success. And so I found that by getting on the road and seeing how they do it in Europe and just getting away from the United States, and I love the United States, but it's really important to leave where you're from and come back so you can see it with a little bit of distance. Once I came back, I looked at all my friends and all the choices that they made, and I wondered how many of those people really chose where they were. And if they had to do over again, would they? And I was like, I'm going to live a life of intention. I know that's some kind of weird buzzword, and I don't mean it like that. But like, if I'm going to choose to have kids, then I'm going to really want to 100%. And if I choose not to, it's because I don't want to. And if I'm going to choose to have like a quote unquote real job, I'm going to do it because I want to, not because society says. And if I'm going to buy a house or I'm going to make a six figure income or whatever it is that other people consider success, I'm going to do it because I want to, because I've been there. I've had nice cars and I've had nice places to live and I've had incomes that people thought were impressive and I wasn't happy. I'd like to unpack a couple of things that you said. You've had insight. You've had glimpses into dozens, if not hundreds of restaurant operations around the country. The question that I ask myself all the time is, is there a formula for success in the industry? In doing these interviews for almost a year now, I've interviewed so many people where I'm like, holy shit, like this guy is playing chess and I've been playing checkers my entire professional life. Who are the people that you've worked with that you found super impressive, super inspiring? And why? I'm thinking of three right now. First one I'll mention is Chef Ori from Bestia. That guy, I don't want to say he changed my life. That's true dramatic. But working with that guy for three months when they opened Bestia every single day, and I was there on my day off too, and so was he. I was Mondays. Man, that guy was in the trenches for, I don't know, 10, 15 years doing someone else's food, but really learning that craft, everything, everything that he could learn from regional Italian cuisine. And then when he got the opportunity to open his own place, he made some very careful choices and he changed some of his behavior and he allowed himself to be the person he needed to be to get to the next level. There's a lot that he did that I learned from, but one of the things that I really appreciated about him, and I'm not even talking about cooking, I'm talking about when something would bug him, he would say something immediately to someone. 
when it wasn't working with a chef or a line cook, he would take them out at that moment. He wouldn't say, well, it's Saturday night. I really need that person on the line. As a show of force and in a way to lead by example, if he had to, he'd run two stations himself and he'd expect you to do the same. And for me, that was really valuable to see somebody put his money where his mouth was and really lead by example. So that's a really important example of somebody that I learned from. I think of Evan Funky. He's had tremendous successes, but he's also had some public failures. And one of the things I notice about some of the most successful people I've ever met in any realm is that in spite of their failures, they persevere. I notice this a lot with politicians. Another misguided entrepreneurial scheme was called Sexy Politics. Our tagline was informing the masses with asses. <laughs> and we wanted to use like sex appeal to make politics sexy for 20-somethings to try to get people to vote when Obama was running for his first term, right? Mm -hmm. I was in charge of doing all the questions for this quiz site, and people would take off their clothes for your right answers. Nobody got naked, but it was the promise that kind of attracted people. But I noticed when I was doing the research, all those politicians that were running for president, they'd almost all failed their first time and they persevered. So from that, I tribute Evan Funky as somebody that I really look up to. They just did an article about me in LA Magazine and they led with Bob Iger. And I work for a lot of celebrities and I'm not like a celebrity kind of, I don't really go after the celebrity crowd. It's not really my crowd. I like to maintain a low profile, but sometimes I get to work with people like Bob. And you know what's amazing about somebody like him, different from a lot of other people, the first time I came to his house, we really had like a long conversation and he was kind of bugging me. I was trying to prep. It was a big night for me. I was for my first time cooking for his family and his friends. And he really wanted to get to know me. And that conversation and a lot of others, I feel like a guy like that could very easily forget his roots. And he really hasn't. Like, he's the first guy to grab a dish and bring it into the kitchen. And he's the last guy to lock up the house, even though I'm sure he has staff that would do that for him. And he kind of walks the perimeter and makes sure everything's put away properly and everything's clean. And then he goes to sleep with like a sense of like everything is done and he has a sense of well-being. And I think that all these guys, Ori too coming to terms with everything for that day and then going to sleep with kind of a clean conscience and waking it up and doing it again is something that I find a lot of comfort in. And I see that they're an example for all of us, really. When you look to the year coming up, what are your goals for yourself? What are your ambitions? Oh, man. Right now, all I'm doing is trying. I feel like I'm in panic mode a little bit, and I have been for the better part of a year. And so I'm just trying to keep the train on the tracks. And I don't even know where the tracks are leading at this point. But I do know that I have different income sources and I'm trying to figure them all out as I pursue them, right? So I've got on-site consulting. I've got virtual consulting. I've got Zoom pizza classes. I've got video on-demand classes. I've got a bunch of projects that I'm working on that I'm really excited about. And so I'm just trying to give them even, well, actually uneven kind of like attention and trying to do the best thing that I can do and just keep picking up my phone and responding to emails and kind of keep it all going because this is such a scary time to be in business, whether you're an employee or an entrepreneur like me. If you can't forecast anything, how can you make any plans? I don't know how to forecast anything right now. I know how to get through the week. 
and the month. I have no idea what April or May is going to look like. I mean, I'm planning a big online event this year, like I did last year for what I call Pizza Zoom 2020. And it's going to be a big pizza event around the same time that the Pizza Expo would have been held. And the event I did last year kind of got me where I am today. I just like freaked out and put all my energy into an online fundraiser. And it started me down the path of these Zoom pizza classes. And now I'm going to do it again just because I feel like I can do it better this time and I can bring more people into the fold. And so I know that I enjoy what I do. I just don't know where exactly it's going to get me. I don't have, like, Josh, do you have a five-year plan? No, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. I have like a five-month plan that's incredibly flexible. (laughs) Right. But I've never had a five-year plan. Maybe during college, I had a five-year plan to graduate. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in like the concept of long-term thinking. I know what I want my life to look like in 10 years, and I am completely unattached to how I get there. Does that make sense? Oh, Does that good. resonate? Absolutely. It doesn't resonate, but I'm glad you have that <laughs> vision for yourself. I don't have that vision for myself. I don't know what I want my life to look like. Is there any anxiety associated with that? Tons. <laughs> Absolutely tons. You know, I look at some of my friends that are doctors or they work in finance or they teachers, principals, and I'm like, wow, they're going to retire soon, <laughs> right? They're going to have a pension or a salary or a retirement fund. I don't have any of that. And I never thought I would. And I don't think I wanted that. I see myself working until I die. And I don't think that's a bad thing. No, it's certainly not if you're passionate about what you're doing especially if what you're doing speaks to your values. Yes, I'm sure I agree with you. But here's the thing, and maybe I don't know what it is about me. I could be doing something totally different in five years. There's no I have no idea mind. what that would be. To me, you seem like a student, like just a perpetual student, student of life, student of all of these different fields. Is that how you view yourself? I think so. You know what? The best day of my life was graduating high school because I didn't have to in school anymore. And then probably the second best day of my life was then graduating college, right? And so I was really happy to get into the workforce. And I've been working since I was like five years old. I always found a way to make money because I didn't grow up in a rich family. I grew up in kind of a poor family. So if I wanted to go to McDonald's, I had to figure out a way to scrape together $2.20 for a Happy Meal or whatever they called it in the 60s. So I've always been that kid that had, I didn't have a paper route, but I sold stuff and I found stuff and I always figured out ways to make money. And I had a job. Most people use their fake idea to drink. I use my fake idea to get a job <laughs> before I was 16. For me, it was about independence. So, man, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I love, but there's a lot of things that I probably don't know and haven't discovered yet that I might actually love to be doing. I think that's a great perspective. I don't know where that's going to take me. Yeah. And I don't even know at this point, like, I don't even think it's about place anymore. I was reading an article last night about all the LA types that are moving to Joshua Tree. And that's one of my favorite places in the world. And I know it's a very trendy place to be now. But for me, I just like going to the bottom of a valley or the top of a mountain and just sitting there like a dork and just enjoying the view and the silence or whatever it is. Something about that place makes me really happy. Hidden Valley. I don't know if you've ever been there. So I think for me, it's always about like this contrast. Like when I work, I work my ass off. And then when I relax, I relax my ass off. And so there's something about, I kind of need different kinds of stimulation. 
when I traveled in Europe for two years, I constantly went back and forth between country and city, country and city. And I would stay in a city like Prague until I was sick of it. And then I would go to the country. And then I would stay in the countryside until I got bored with it. And I would go to a city. And I kind of like going back and forth like that, you know? Maybe I have a kind of a restless nature. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. There are thousands of restaurant owners and operators listening now. Do you have any words of advice or encouragement you'd like to share? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm spending a lot of time talking with restaurateurs these days and chefs, and I'm finding that the ones that are doing the best are the ones that established a path for themselves way before the pandemic started. And so whatever happens... They know what it is that they do that makes a difference in people's lives, right? And I'm not even just talking about food. And so what's interesting to me is, and I don't want to kind of divide the restaurant business because I know there's a lot of pain and suffering going on right now, but I feel like the people that are doing well right now were doing well before. And so, yeah, they've had to change paths and in a way they've had to like obviously pivot and do lots of things. But if you got into the restaurant business for because you loved it and you felt like you were creating something really positive for people before the pandemic happened, then hopefully you have the wherewithal and the finances and the energy to just kind of keep it going. Because I think you talked about like thinking about the long term. I'm optimistic that, yeah, we might still be wearing masks in 2022, but I believe that we'll get through this. And I'm hoping there's going to be another renaissance on the other side. And with all the pain and suffering that's going on now, for people who have a midterm or a long-term goal, the tide is going to change. And if you can make it through this tough part, I think that you can hopefully persevere and be around for the long term. So it's not a specific formula, I would say. I just think like for all of the, I'll use the analogy of growth and value investors in finance, right? For all the growth investors that went for the easy money, I think those people are really suffering right now. But but people who are value investors and have longer term plays and buy when the market is dipping, I think those people are going to do really well. And I know a lot of people right now, I don't want to say they're taking advantage of the market dipping, but they're really digging in and they're trying to utilize whatever advantage they naturally have and just make it through this downtime because when the market picks up, they'll be set up better than almost anybody to take advantage of the upswing. That's Noel Broner. For more on Noel, go to slowrisepizza.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.